From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Wednesday, October 6th. There's a noticeable lack of Native-owned outfitters in this corner of Utah, but that's changing. KZMU's Justin Higginbottom hit the trail with a new Navajo-owned company to hear their take on outdoor recreation. I'm driving with outdoors guide Lewis Williams, heading from Blanding toward Bears Ears National Monument. The usual route is washed out, so we're moving slowly along a narrow dirt road between Juniper and Pinion Pine. We ease past a truck of archaeologists with the Forest Service. Hello. Hey, thanks. Sorry, I, you guys actually have the right of way. Oh, that's all you know, right. So have, I, wherever I, there's space. No sometimes. place to pull off. We yeah. both fit. <laughs> so we're, we're I'm Ancient Waves River and Hiking Adventures. Oh, cool. Okay. We're a Navajo company. Nice. This is actually our first full year. Awesome. All right. Cool. Yeah. Native guides. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And we actually have a river permit. We're working with the BLM, so Ancient Waves is creating a ripple effect. I mean, this is BLM was like, what, a Navajo company? It's about damn time, right? Yes, sir. Yep. Williams Company is the only native-owned guiding service in San Juan County. This spring, Ancient Waves will be the first Navajo company to raft the San Juan River, with plans to put in all the way in Shiprock, New Mexico, on the Navajo Nation. Yeah. She Lewis Williams in a shit. Deep a toddy in a slit. Chippewa bushes gene. Topashna aja. Shache. That's a che. Nathlane. That's a nulle. Tordine. She nasha. So I just introduced myself. He's worked as a guide for years. With his new company, he hopes to give others a more native perspective of the land, experiencing it how he did with his family. Where I grew up, any direction. From the the house, you just spin the bottle wherever that bottle, which direction it landed. That's where we went. The outdoors is where I kind of grew up. We were out here a lot in these forested areas, gathering pinions. My grandma, she grew up the traditional way of Navajo living, which was relying on the land for for everything, shelter, food. We park and walk toward the site of Cave Towers. Looks like we're the only ones here. Beside the trail are thick patches of cryptobiotic soil and red desert flowers in bloom. The wind is blowing across Cedar Mesa and over the squat vegetation. Williams points out the plants he grew up using. Prickly pear. This is called snakeweed. We have all types of prickly pear. This is sagebrush. I'm sure you know about that. Best smell in the world. What we do is, as natives, bless ourselves. He rubs a handful of sagebrush on his chest. So that's what we do with this plant. Kind of give this blessing. This is the juniper tree. And we use this cedar. Heat up your cast iron skillet. And it'll start to smoke, give it an aroma. Bless your house with it. Just get it off and you bless yourself with it to ward off juju bad thoughts, all that stuff, just does away with it. So this is all positivity right here. On the sides of Mule Canyon, blended into the sandstone, are the remains of a city. It's a wall down there. A lot of rubble here. At one time, those were walls. See this rubble over here? That was a tower. Welcome to Cave Towers, Justin. So water, this is 
why this place was occupied was because there was sufficient amount of water here. Springs are very sacred places. That's where the ceremonies were conducted. I just wanted to show you the wall. A partially collapsed stone tower sits on the rim of the canyon. It was last occupied over 700 years ago. Made by them. You know, nowadays we put chicken wire to keep the mud on. They just made it rough edge so that mud could stick on the wall, the rocks easier. On his tours, Williams will talk about geology and ecology and history, but he also hopes to share a spiritual side of the land, telling native stories around a campfire, eating Navajo blue corn, squash, and beans, things he learned from his grandmother. I love to share our culture, just like my grandmother did. So I have to say it was, it, it was passed down. So it was instilled into me to share and to share with others the knowledge, you know, the knowledge of the land, which in return benefits the land. There's a term, Pajon. My grandma and the way she grew up involved Pajon. So Pajon is the interconnectedness between nature, your mental health, your physical health and general positivity like good vibes you can catch good vibes with williams by booking a tour with ancient waves through their website or facebook he also runs heat Diné homes which delivers things like firewood to elderly and remote tribal members you can donate to that on his gofundme justin higginbottom burkesium news Utah organizations are working together to find affordable housing for Afghan refugees. Emma Fates, with our partners at Utah Public Radio, has more. This month, Governor Cox announced that over 750 Afghan refugees are coming to Utah. Some of these refugees will arrive as early as this month. In preparation for this, the director of Utah's Refugee Services Office, Asha Parekh, says the governor brought together the state's critical players in refugee issues and broke them up into different work groups. One of the groups, she says, is focused on housing. We are all very acutely aware of the um, lack of available affordable housing in our state. Solving this problem for refugees involves a number of different organizations, including Utah's two resettlement agencies, Catholic Community Services and the International Rescue Committee, as well as the Utah Apartment Association. Executive Director of the Association, Paul Smith, says they reached out and landlords responded. When I first sent out an email asking landlords if they could help, I got hundreds of replies and over 20,000 units. The owners of over 20,000 units said we'd love to help if the timing lines up. Smith says they will receive one week's notice of refugees' arrival. The hope is that vacancies open up with these pre-committed landlords, and refugees will have a place to live before they even arrive. It's a collaborative effort of a lot of people, Smith says, but it's Utah's turn to give back. Well, Utah is a culture of generosity, and because our pioneer founders were also displaced uh, from their homes, we we know what it's like and and we can relate. Perex says helping refugees resettle in Utah not only makes us better people, but also enriches our lives. They come here with a strong sense of community. They want to give back. They participate and support each other. They really believe in 
many people, despite all the stuff that they have gone through in life, they believe in the American dream and the values that we hold dear here. And, you know, it makes us better people that we're actually reaching out and saying, we can help you. I'm Emma Fates. This month, more than 20 species were declared extinct by the U.S. government. Meanwhile, one mammal in our region is making its way toward an exciting recovery. The Mountain West News Bureau's Maggie Mullen reports. Back in 1981, the black-footed ferret was thought to be globally extinct. But then a ranch dog near Matitsi, Wyoming, came across one, and recovery efforts began like captive breeding and releases at historic ferret sites. Recently, officials in Wyoming released 30 juvenile ferrets, known as kits, at two different sites. Here's what one of those mornings sounded like. Can I have a 16? Zach Walker of the Wyoming Game and Fish says it's an amazing thing to witness. Plus, these are all juvenile ferrets. So they've got that extra bit of cuteness to them. The kits came from the National Black-Footed Ferret Conservation Center in northern Colorado. For the Mountain West News Bureau, I'm Maggie Mullen. And that's the KZMU News for Wednesday, October 6th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.